Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today. Don't allow your limiting beliefs to dictate how you decide about your future. I thought that in certain jobs, in certain functions, men can be more successful. I learned that's not the case. So challenge those type of limiting beliefs and you might surprise yourself. Conversations with Lulu. My name is Lulu Khazan. I'm an entrepreneur living in Dubai, an investor, a mother, and your host. I'm joined by Ali Matar, the head of EMEA, Emerging Markets, Middle East and Africa for LinkedIn. I found our conversation extremely timely given the disruption the job market has been experiencing as a result of COVID. We talked about how he set up LinkedIn for the region as their first employee as well as his advice on being a good manager, the importance of upskilling as we emerge from the pandemic, and some of the trends we see locally in terms of diversity in the workplace. Ali's journey started in the south of Lebanon, where he grew up, and before entering the technology world, he initially wanted to become a pharmacist and ultimately settled on civil engineering, a field that he only worked in for a year before jumping into the tech space, where he ultimately and reluctantly decided to move to Abu Dhabi in 2005. And to be honest, I thought it was going to take more than six months. I even remember in Abu Dhabi, I went and I rented my first one bedroom. I, I was thinking of only furnishing my bedroom. Because I thought, like, why would I furnish the whole house? I'm going to be at work all day long. I'm going to stay here for six months. And then it's easier for me just to go back to Lebanon after six months. Fast forward, it's my 15th year. And I stopped counting since a long time back. And yeah, I, I think it's uh, so far uh, connecting the dots backward. I feel like it was a good decision. So I moved around the same time as you. I moved in 2003, I think a couple of years before you. My first job was uh, was in sales and marketing for a group of hotels here. And I remember my first salary was 3,500 dirhams. Uh, so it was literally, you know, for me to leave Lebanon, it was $1,000 at the time. I was like, whoa, $1,000, right? You didn't really get that uh, as a young graduate in Lebanon. And this is when... Uh, I thought, you know, let's uh, let's go to the Gulf. And I, like you, you know, I think it's been such a great experience uh, to be here. So you you joined the first job, and then uh, was that was with uh, I think SAP or no Oracle. Oracle. I stayed with Oracle for a few years, and then I moved to SAP, and this this is where I met my wife. And yeah, she was my marketing business partner for some period of time. We managed to fight over every single engagement. <laughs> until we get married so that's uh let's say uh, the beauty of um, this world the first time you became uh, a manager what was something that you really enjoyed actually let's start by telling you what the things i did not enjoy okay. uh, i did not enjoy the fact that um, 
the early days of being a manager, uh, you need to switch gear from being an individual contributor to uh, getting the results through people and uh, make peace with the fact that there are different ways of getting to the answer. And everyone has their own style and you as a manager should be able to, to adapt to, to your team style. You should be able to coach them. You should be able to provide feedback when needed, but you should not impose your style on others. I did that horribly at the beginning. So I did not enjoy starting my management, um, I would say, journey by, by being someone who's pretty directive in the, in, in the way to run things. Uh, being the control freak I am, I was probably annoying my team more than... Uh, more than needed. Did they, did they complain? Did your boss notice that? Or did you notice that you were doing something wrong and you had to fix it? I mean, like anything in life, there's a change management curve that you go through, right? And um, uh, through that curve, you get to, to learn through your mentors. You get to learn through some trainings that you, 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 you get yourself into. But at the same time, by having some, as long as you're not a bad person, uh, you will be open to receive some constructive feedback. And I think that's, that's pretty important. In, in people management, there are different phases. There is the phase where you form the team, uh, what you call the formation uh, phase, then the time where you go for storming, it like until you get to know each other, until you go into the norming phase or you normalize the relationship. And the faster you can reach there in a healthy way, the better. But, I mean, ultimately, in a, in a job, you don't really get to choose your team, right? Sometimes when you're promoted, you you inherit a team. Yeah, but you can still let them go and hire who you want if, if that's the right thing for the business. Is, is it, though, that easy? Because, I mean, in that case with LinkedIn, you set up the <laughs> office from scratch. So you, you had the opportunity to hire whoever you wanted. But when you inherit a, an existing team, obviously, that's uh, that's different, right? It is. Inheriting something and making it work versus building something is, is a, both are interesting challenge, but eventually it, it's different. At the same time, even if you inherit a team, you need to take your time uh, trying to observe how, how they operate, trying to avoid uh, reaching to uh, certain you know, conclusions without really spending time with the team. But more importantly, once you know deep inside that there's something not working, you should not delay your decision at all. And this is where you have the opportunity to, to inject some change. And that's, that's what I, I do. Like I, I take my time, uh, but then I always try to, to assess how that person is contributing to the team vision or the team objective. And if it's not working, it's not fair for that person as much as it's not fair for that person's uh, team members and for the business, but just keeping someone uh, who's, uh, I would say, more uh, uh, creating distraction than, than supporting. And as a manager, that's what I find the managers these days avoid to have those type of confrontation. That's a very interesting point because, you know, the old way of managing versus the the new way of, of managing i mean now you have to have a lot of empathy you have to uh, discuss and share what's going on but but first if you allow me i want to clarify one thing being compassionate is not a synonym for being friendly no one is in their management position or in any job for that sake just to be friendly or to be likable but being compassionate at the same time showing empathy and putting yourself in the shoes of the other person to help them move in the right direction. But moving in the right direction doesn't always mean staying in the same team. 
And when I say, uh, once, you, once you know deep inside that that person is not the right person for the job, that doesn't mean you just let them go the next morning. There are other ways where they can probably transition them for different jobs in the company if this is what their passion is. Uh, but just do nothing about it. Uh, I would say it's a lack of compassion because you're putting someone in a place that they are not set for success. And you just hope that a miracle will happen at one point in time and it's going to work. And we know it doesn't. 99% of the time, it doesn't. And how would you have this uh, difficult conversation, basically? Is there, do you have a strategy for how you tackle these conversations? It, first of all, if this conversation with the person I'm talking to is coming as a surprise, then I have done a very poor job. This conversation should not come as a surprise. And I should not like have a strategy to have a tough conversation with someone. We do have those. That's why you define what we call, again, I'm going to refer to some of the frameworks we use at LinkedIn, the leverage leadership and results framework, where you, where you clearly explain to the same person in front of you how you're going to be measuring them in the coming three or six or nine months, right? So you define those frameworks, you define those metrics, and then once you agree on them, we call it you're, you're, you're setting the standards. After you set the standards, you expect them to demonstrate those standards. And you have a full X number of days, weeks to do continuously having those conversations. And then you have to, after setting the standard, demonstrating the standard, you go into the phase of holding them accountable to the standards. So if three or six months down the line, they haven't been demonstrating those type of things, uh, they should be expecting to have that tough conversation. If they are not, then I haven't done a good job uh, giving them your, that sense check during, during the process. 2012 presented a tremendous opportunity for a company like LinkedIn. The population was young, tech-savvy, and adopting social media at an unprecedented scale. But at the same time, innovation in hiring and professional networking was lagging behind. LinkedIn Mina was like a startup within a startup, and Ali was brought on board to build their presence in the region. Armed with his learnings and key takes on managing and hiring the right team, Ali knew he has to set up some basic priorities to deliver on LinkedIn's vision. One, I don't want to screw up. Two, I want to make sure I invest a lot of time in hiring. Initially, I had three, four headcounts to, to start with. So I wanted to make sure that these three, three four headcounts that I'm hiring are the ones who's going to make a difference. Lastly, identify those few things that we need to focus on and just double down on those type of things. Because uh, the trap that you can you can easily fall into that you feel like you can solve so many problems at the same time and then you barely touch uh, them very shallowly and then you wouldn't end up creating any impact. And those distractions used to come every single day, receiving email from people. We think this, we think that we can partner with LinkedIn on that. And then if you are not brutally focused on like, these are the three things that I'm going to focus on and nothing else. Yes, I might miss some good opportunity, but it's worth the discretion that I'm, the distraction I'm going to get, uh, then that would be more, more impactful on the long term. And that's what we've done. Yeah, that's very much, again, an entrepreneurial thinking as well, in the sense where you have to have your priorities, you know, completely clear and uh, know what you want to say no to is as important as what you would, uh, what you would say yes to. You probably had to do a lot of uh, business development. You had to meet uh, probably governments and big companies and, you know, build the presence. So are there any challenges there or any interesting stories? So I wouldn't call them as challenges per se. I would say there was a learning opportunity every single day. And one of the, my biggest learning opportunity that today I, I, I feel very comfortable talking about because I think the best way to make peace with your mistakes in the past is to be open about them 
and uh, to make sure you share those mistakes with others. So hopefully if someone is listening, they avoid doing those same mistakes. I remember when we started with having three, uh, these three, four headcounts, I, I was super focused on the short to midterm uh, results. So I went and I uh, talked to people that I trust. I worked in the past. I worked with in the past, and I felt these people is gonna wrap up pretty fast, and we're gonna, you know, have some 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 great time building the business of LinkedIn and the Mino. And then I heard the first person. Uh, that person was a man. I heard the second person. That person was a man. I heard the third person. That person was a man. And at one point in time, um, I was having a conversation with my manager. He was telling me, uh, "Listen, I feel like." Uh, the diversity in the Dubai office might become an issue in the future because as you hire more men, it becomes difficult for a woman, even if you want to hire women down the road later on, they, 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 you know, they wouldn't feel comfortable joining a team that is all men. I did not really understand what he's talking about at that point in time. I was like, yeah, he's, he's a French guy sitting in the Paris office. Uh, it's, gonna, it's different here. I was like, yes, 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 yes. And then I went doing my own thing. And I was always telling myself that, yes, I, I mean, I need to hire someone who's able to travel as often, jump to Saudi, jump to Kuwait, jump to Qatar, jump. We need that flexibility. And I was under the impression that you find those, uh, uh, I, I would say, requirements more in the men than women. At one point in time, I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe there's a way that I'm not, I'm not seeing it perfectly correct. And we hired the first women at LinkedIn uh, in Dubai. I think she was employee number five or six. And I can tell you, I was super wrong all this time. She was an amazing hard worker. She was never ever compromising on her integrity towards her work. She was working hand in hand with everyone and her customers loved her. I felt at that point in time that we, we put ourselves in those limiting beliefs and we allow them to become probably big obstacles in our head, where in reality, it's not the case. And that was a learning opportunity for me. And I am happy that I learned it early on before we became a 100 employees office. And now I would say we're probably a 50-50 type uh, fund office. And it's not just to look good or to say we have a diverse office. It's because when you have that diversity, you're bringing the best out of everyone. I'm talking right now about gender diversity. It's the same about nationality, culture, ethnicity, race. That is how you can create winning teams. And, and when you do so, you're doing, you're doing good for your team and you're doing good for your own company and your own business. And that's why people should think of diversity as part of their strategy to win. You sit on the Middle East Council for Diversity. So you actually went as far as being as part of a group that tries to instill change basically in companies and also in a recent post you said that we owe it to ourselves and generations to come to have uh, diverse uh, workplaces so so we hear a lot uh, about diversity today you know but in reality ali and, and now maybe because of your position on the council um, what is happening on the ground i mean beyond the multinationals that are obviously uh, have, you know, decisions, uh, top-down decisions where they have to be diverse. What's the reality like? If you look at the World Economic Forum report, the most recent one, it says we are 99 years away from gender parity, globally. Globally? Globally. Ali, by parity, you mean equal pay or what do you mean exactly? No, I, I mean uh, representation in the, in, the, in the workforce. Representation, okay. Now, the good news, that index... That doesn't mean you need 99 years. Last time we looked at that index, it was, it, 
we needed 109 years. So it looks like we're moving in the right direction. So if you think that globally, we need 99 years to get to gender parity, and in the Middle East and North Africa, we need 140 years. Again, that's not what Ali is saying. That's what the World Economic Forum, you can Google it, you can find all these detailed reports. That's why I said in my post, we owe it for ourselves and for the generations to come. Because if we drop the ball now, that 99 years is going to become 120. While, while, while 99 looks a big number, but we're able to, to influence it. And we are. Because one year back, it was 109. So we are able to accelerate. We're not in a great place today. We can't say like we, we made it. But I think one of the things that we're trying to achieve in the Middle East um, Diversity Council is, first of all, creating that level of awareness in the private sector. Second of all, highlight why it's important again it's not just we would like to, to look good it's because that's the right way to win and third what are the learnings we can share among each other and among other private sector companies and what are the best practices that we can share i mean if we are able just to to highlight those type of things that by itself will create that level of uh, you know awareness in the in the in the country and the region so for someone listening to to alina who's a person who's you know, working in recruitment uh, over the past eight years, leading a great business here. So, what would you what would you ask them to think to think about the next time they're preparing to hire someone? Well, a couple of things. From my own experience, uh, don't allow your limiting beliefs to dictate how you decide about your future. I thought that in certain jobs, in certain function, men can be more successful. I learned that's not the case. So challenge those type of limiting beliefs and you might surprise yourself. Second, I would say um, it's very important for all of us to acknowledge where we are today and where we want to go. And by doing so, we understand the gap between where we are and where we want to go. And then we can have what we call uh, you know, quick wins and, and small steps that we can celebrate as we go from point A to point B. If we expect that uh, going from A to B is going to take a year or two, we're wrong. What I would love everyone to think about is what is the one or two things they can change in their own behavior that will move the needle. I'll give you another example. In the past, if you had like uh, an opening in your own company that you want to hire for, and then you're interviewing people, obviously speaking in certain industries, technology is one of them. It's more do- the dominated by men than women. Yeah. You could open the rec in the morning and get 10 great, uh, you know, profiles applying and uh, as men and as women, probably one or none. And you, because you're always solving for your short-term gains, you say, okay, I'm not going to keep an empty seat. I'm going to go and hire that man. That's exactly what we should not be doing. We should always find the best talent for the opportunity, but make an effort to find that diverse, that diverse talent. Uh, sometimes we find ourselves under a lot of short-term pressure, and we sacrifice the long-term gain by just solving those things. Okay, the next hire, I will make the effort. So then just to recap, it's important to have diversity and inclusion, not because it's a, it's a metric to have as a company, because, you know, it helps you achieve results. And many reports show that there are actual uh, positive results on your bottom line as a, as a company as well. And I hope that you know, and our part of the world will be able to see some really tangible uh, steps. You know. But you know what you also need to do, not you as Lulu, but women in general as well. Uh, I definitely believe that you should believe in yourself a little bit more. Again, looking at statistics, we see men on LinkedIn 
applying for a job when they believe they can do 60% of the job description. Yeah. Guess what's that percentage look like for women? Yeah, if they have like 90% uh, of the... 100%. So that is also uh, not going to help. Um, what I experienced in many cases that um, men usually, when they do something that they feel like they are proud of, they want the whole attention from the world. Yeah. Women, in many cases, before even raising themselves, uh, raising their hands for a promotion or applying for a new job, they find all the reasons why they shouldn't do it. Because traditionally, Ali, every time you try to do something as, as a woman, you're either too bossy or too bitchy or too uh, uh, showy or, or there's always some sort of label that gets slapped on you uh, where, you know, for a man, it's uh, he's uh, decisive and he's ambitious and all of that stuff. So... It's, it's very tricky. I don't know what we're doing wrong, but we're doing something wrong. But I tell you one thing, you know, as a new mother and, and, and having a girl, I want everything for her. And, and, and I don't know if we are the generation that's going to make this uh, shift in mindset. I don't know. I believe that if you're a parent and you have a, a girl and a boy, you probably want, you know, the best for both of them. Uh, and and you want them to have all the, the opportunities that are available. So I don't know what our parents did. Uh, uh, that's so that's so wrong. But I do feel that uh, you know it's an opportunity for us to to change things. I think every generation has their own challenges, and I think uh, more than ever we need to look at this as 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 an opportunity for men and women to come together and drive that change. It's gonna take time, but gonna work do you yeah. think uh with covid with what's happened recently in covid do you think that might sort of tip the scales a little bit towards women because you know traditionally maybe a woman won't go to sit in an office because of all her other responsibilities and she can't really block eight nine hours a day uh to go sit somewhere but with the work from home sort of mentality becoming widely accepted do you think that might change something well, again, looking at some of the statistics that we have today, and actually there was a, a nice interview uh, done with Christine Lagarde. Uh, yeah, the, from the, IM, the ex-IMF. Yeah, president of uh, uh, Europe Central Bank. And um, she posted it on LinkedIn as well. As a matter of fact, uh, her point of view is COVID has really impacted women more negatively. Starting with the health piece, because 70% of the health sector employees apparently are women. So this makes women more exposed to, 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 the, to the danger of getting the virus. But um, looking at some of the statistics we have at LinkedIn as well, we found, for instance, um, by end of April, which was the period we're seeing that uh, big hit when it comes to, uh, and I'm talking about uh, UAE figures, uh, big hit when it comes to hiring, we found that uh, around 30% of the hires that have done were women which is not great because this means 70% were men. Now, uh, recently, we're starting to see that those percentages of hiring fees are increasing again, and I think right is around 35%. So my guess here is the fact that kids are now studying, or at that point in time, they were studying at, at home, yeah. and uh, there was probably expectations more for women to support than men. I'm not saying this is across the board, but they were more, it impacted more the women than the men. And even now, as some of the offices are starting to open again mm. and some of the employees are going, you find men 
going to the offices more than women because again women are staying in the house taking taking care of their kids and that will not perhaps uh you know give them equal opportunities for the future oh wow that's not good when i look back at my journey to start nebbish the result that was to provide a platform to get consulting jobs and contract based jobs Could a crisis like this pandemic tip the scales towards the gig economy and create a new type of employment opportunities for women and men? Reid Hoffman, the founder and previous CEO of LinkedIn, recently referred to the saying of we shouldn't let a good crisis go to waste and that instead of focusing on how to return back to our offices, we should perhaps focus on the opportunities to build something even better as we emerge from the pandemic. I think today people should be very conscious about uh, how to spend their time and uh, which industries they need to focus on to be able to 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 get uh, back into the to the workforce as as fast as possible so if if we look at the covid period some industries have really flourished we've seen for example uh, industries like the e-commerce like healthcare uh, have done really good technology they have increased their hires by almost 41% year on year during that period we see as well at linkedin that uh, uh, the future workforce or the future uh, uh, job requirements will be mainly around what we call disruptive technologies and this is where we need to encourage people especially women to take and build those skills in order to be ready to the future of work because the future of work will be uh revolving around those type of skills which unfortunately again today we feel there are more men than women in those disruptive technology skills the like of uh, augmented reality artificial intelligence etc now what we also what we've also seen that yeah there are some more industries suffering if you think of the airline industry if you think of hospitality industry and what we've seen that people who works in those industries today are five times more Uh, applying for jobs outside the, the, this traditional industry, which is good in one way because it brings that diversity and 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 it somehow uh, talks to the to the to the side hustle or the gig that you just mentioned that people need to adapt to this new change and will need to find different jobs that requires uh, that will require them to go back to workforce as fast as possible. What would you say uh, to people that are in their 40s or 50s that have lost their jobs? I know quite a few people in this uh, in this category and I know that it's quite challenging especially if you've been a corporate veteran throughout your career. Well, I also have some friends around the same age bracket but they also lost their jobs and it's it's extremely difficult and I know these these are very difficult times, right? So it's very hard in, in a normal day losing a job is a big thing. and uh, in, in in a situation where there's covid as well that makes it even more painful perhaps my, my biggest advice would be to find ways not to lose hope because in those situation it's very easy uh, to find yourself in a corner uh in any more a victim mode that everything is happening against against you and then it takes time and energy and effort to get you out of that corner understand that this is a global pandemic it is not because you're not as good you were the same person before the pandemic and you had a job and understand that uh, it has nothing to do with your own professional uh, you know uh, skills um and try 
try to be in a player mode as fast as possible and put yourself in a situation where given all of this, how can I go back and find a job? Use your network as an example. And here I'm going to talk about LinkedIn. Uh, your network is access to information. Your network is not only a network that you go out there if you're a salesman to sell a product or a service oh, yeah. <laughs> or, a, or, or if you're in procurement to buy a product or a service. Those guys love LinkedIn, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> we all do love LinkedIn. Uh, use your network in the best possible way. When you go to take example as a LinkedIn, first of all, it starts by really defining a proper profile, having a professional picture, a good yeah. summary, spend time on LinkedIn Second, we have opened hundreds of LinkedIn learning courses for free that can help people gain those skills. When I'm saying that there are five times more members in the airline industry, for example, applying for jobs outside the airline industry, they need a different type of skills to get to those jobs. So now we have over uh, over 100 um, courses for free. How that do you people, this from your profile? From your profile. We have published that on LinkedIn as well, okay. where you can go and get to all these courses. I think it is the time to invest in yourself, build new skills, have a proper profile, reach out to your network. Yeah, I would also recommend uh, reading uh, Reid Hoffman's book, which is the, the startup of you. I love this book. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a great way for, for you to look at yourself as a brand and not as, a, as an individual and think about how you market yourself, how you build a network, mm -hmm. how do you articulate your value, how do you sell yourself, and all of that. It's uh, it's definitely uh, a great read in these times, for sure. You know, I was also checking an article on LinkedIn, and, and uh, there was, a, I can't remember the name of the person, uh, but he was saying that in those very difficult times, the best way to fight loneliness is to reach out to other people. Just by having a conversation, just by trying to offer some support or some help. And sometimes it's only by listening. That makes a big difference in our psychology. If you talk to two, three people that you care for or they care about you, that will change your mood and will allow you to be in a better uh, state of mind to go and do things that will help you. And I think that that's great. And I think building, you know, building networks take a lot of time, right? You can't just, you know, lose your job and start building your network and reaching out to people that you haven't spoken to in years or, you know, commented on their LinkedIn post or liked what they've said or something. It's, it's not going to work that way. So I think it takes time. And that's why the best time to start building a network is today and keep on building it. It's like a perpetual thing that we need to do. Totally. The best time to connect with someone is when you don't need anything from them. In 2020, what's your advice to companies that are putting performance reviews? I'm going to give you a generic answer, but it really depends on in which industry you are today and it's which function within that industry. What we do and what we encourage our people to think about is there are things that are related to your direct job description. If you're in sales, you're hired to get your results. There's results piece. But only talking about results is not good enough anymore. You need to be a way super focused on encouraging people to be collaborative, encouraging people to be sharing things together, defining certain projects and inviting people to be part of those projects that will help you solve a bigger problem and will show different skills. And then you can assess them on those skills. And then making sure that um, very, very much important that people think from a system point of view than a subsystem point of view. What does that mean? In some cases, uh, you find yourself defining 
certain metrics for two different teams that work for the same company, but those metrics somehow are conflicting. And then each and every team will be solving for their own metrics to be successful. But in reality, they are both hurting the company's vision and mission and objectives. So when you want to make sure that in those type of situations, both teams should think what is the best for my company. That's what you call a system. You optimize for the system by sub-optimizing the subsystem. Can you give an example? In week two, when I joined LinkedIn, I went to Palo Alto. I was sitting with a very senior person in the company. And uh, I was very passionate trying to explain to him why we should have LinkedIn in Arabic. And uh, it was my week two in the company trying to explain why LinkedIn perhaps should reprioritize everything they are working on and just focus on having LinkedIn in Arabic. Think of that as my subsystem goal. And he let me, he's a very thoughtful person. He allowed me to speak for 30 minutes. And then he said, I encourage you to go and spend some time with a product and engineering team and let them explain to you how they prioritize things. That was a very, very, very sound advice because when I went and I had that conversation with the product team and they explained to me, I was like, what's your, where's LinkedIn in your priority? LinkedIn Arabic, priority seven. I was like, what? It cannot be true. We have to have it LinkedIn Arabic. And they were like, okay, share with me what's your top six priorities. Number one was privacy. Makes sense. Number two was um, security. So they started listing the six top priorities. And it made sense for me that LinkedIn Arabic is number seven. Why, how would I win or the members in MENA win or, the, or anyone would win if we have LinkedIn and Arabic but we don't have a secure platform. So in that moment, I learned that always like to solve for the system, even in some cases, if you want to sub-optimize the subsystem. So to wrap up, I'm going to give you sh- short questions. I want like one word, two very short uh, answers. So if I were to give you a massive billboard on Sheikh Zayed Road, what would you write on it? Hope. If you were to give career advice to your kids, what would you tell them? Uh, do what you like. What is something that people don't know about you? And my sense of orientation is super bad. As in traffic, as in uh, driving? I can get lost in my own house. <laughs> okay. uh, one thing fatherhood has taught you? To be okay with not being in control all the time. Top two must watch TV series. Okay, uh, billions and uh, suits. And uh, how do you feel after this podcast? I've never talked uh, that long, but it was fun. Thank you. I hope Ali's advice resonated, particularly when it comes to building diverse teams. I'd love to hear what new opportunities or skills you might be pursuing as a result of our new working models. You can reach out to me on Instagram at luluhazen or leave us a note or review on Apple Podcasts or IMDb. For collaborations, partnerships, or guest recommendations, you can drop me an email at lulu.hazen at gmail.com. See you in two weeks.
Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.